0: You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. I have a very special guest co-host today, Judy Ann Point, who is a very active volunteer with the Friends of Palmham Rocks Lighthouse in Rhode Island. Hi, Judy Ann.
1: Hi Jeremy, and hi to all you Lighthouse enthusiasts out there.
0: Great to have you with us, Judy Ann, thank you so much. In a few minutes, we're going to listen to an interview about the Harbortown Lighthouse at Hilton Head, South Carolina, which is probably the best known faux lighthouse, that's F-A-U-X, probably the best known faux lighthouse in the United States. Judy Ann, you've been on the podcast before, and I saw you, of course, when I visited Palmham Rocks Lighthouse recently. I was there on the day the historic Fourth Order Fresnel lens was put on display in the museum inside the lighthouse. That was really exciting. So what did that day mean to you and your organization?
1: Wow, Jeremy, I don't even know where to begin with this. I wish that every lighthouse out there that is lacking their lens would have the opportunity to get it back. Just to give a little background information, we originally had a sixth order lens which was there in 1871. In 1926 our fourth order lens came to the lighthouse and it was there till 1974 when Dennis Tardif was in the Coast Guard. He was our last keeper and it was decommissioned. So we're lucky in that we knew where the lens was going and that was at the Custom House Maritime Museum in Newburyport, Massachusetts. So we knew where it was located, but see, the lighthouse wasn't ready to house it because we needed a lot of restoration. So the exterior was done, the interior restoration was complete in 2018. And the opportunity of having the 150th anniversary, I think gave us a good reason to really go for it and see if we could get the lens back. Now, Dennis sent a letter to the Coast Guard curator, Arlen Danielson, uh, mm-hmm. asking if she could coordinate the transfer, and she did a fantastic job. We, uh, of course, it, it went through. We were able to go get our lens, so we hired uh, lampist, Kurt Fossberg, and he coordinated the entire move. We went up to the Custom House Museum to, to get the lens, and I'd never been there before, but when you walk in, it's this beautiful old building, and you look down this long entryway, and there was the lens, the crown jewel, in front of this window, and it yep. just looked gorgeous. And you could see in the faces of the people there at the at the museum that they hated to see it go. Uh, and I don't blame them one bit, but you know, Kurt actually made this crate to put the lens in. It took four people to carry it. It was Kurt, it was Dennis, it was uh, the vice chair, Alex Dias, and my husband, Gary. They That thing was heavy, and I think it was a little higher on the pedestal than Kurt had expected, so they had to yeah. step it down to a table, and then he built the crate around it. It looked like something that would carry the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> um, it was really, the, the way he did it, He everything just fit to a T. So when we went up there... Um, it was it was sad in a way. It was exciting for us. It was sad for the people at the museum. But we brought it back, and of course you were there. You saw the way that K, uh, Kurt had displayed it, uh, put and he put the brass railings around. He even made uh, a replica brass fourth order lamp to go in it, in and it just looks gorgeous. In the display. But one of the best things was the people from the and the people I will name them that came from the Custom House Museum. It was the executive director, Joan Whitlow. It was the chairperson, um, Susan Bernhard, and the vice chair, Jack Santos. And they we brought them over about two weeks ago. We brought them over to the island to see it, and you could see the looks on their faces. They were so happy to see how we were caring for that lens. And that was just so satisfying for us. And Kurt had something to say, which, which really um, rang a bell with me. He, you know, he said that lighthouses were made for the lights, for the lenses, mm. and to bring it home, it's like bringing the heart and soul back to your lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really how it felt. It, it was amazing.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, a great way to put it. You know, my wife Charlotte uh, has been known to say, uh, what's a lighthouse without a light? You know, it's the, it's the soul of the lighthouse. I definitely think that. A couple of uh, follow-ups of what you just said. First of all, Dennis Tardif, who you mentioned, of course, uh, as you said, was one of the last Coast Guard keepers of that lighthouse. And for people who don't know, I don't think we've actually said, or have we said that it's in Rhode Island. It's uh, near East Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, on the, the Providence River and uh, Dennis was one of the last Coast Guard keepers there in the 1970s and he's currently the president of uh, the Friends of Palmham Rock's Lighthouse uh, So, and I interviewed him for episode 70 of this podcast so if people want to hear more about uh, his history with the place both uh, as a member of the Coast Guard and with the Preservation organization. They could listen to episode seventy. I also wanted to mention that I have some history with that lens and with the Custom House Maritime Museum in Newburyport. Uh, I've spoken at that museum, uh, I think, a couple of times over the years. And one time, a friend of mine was at her wedding in that oh, museum. Wow. That was quite a few years ago, and uh, during the wedding reception, somebody came over to me and said they knew I was into lighthouses, so they said, you know, there's a lighthouse lens here, right? And at that (laughs) time, it was in like a separate room kind of off by itself, not where you saw it. So a few of us went into that room, and I saw that there was a, a plug hanging from the lens and an electrical outlet right there. The room was pretty dark. So I plugged in the the lens and it had probably like a 60 watt bulb or something in it but because it was magnified by that beautiful yes. little Fresnel lens yes and because the room was pretty dark it was like blinding when that light went on <laughs> and everybody kind of screamed or you know ah turn it off turn it <laughs> off so I pulled out the plug really quickly but I when I think of that lens I always think of that that Moment, so that was but, that was pretty memorable, but see, they, it is, they uh, really worked, <laughs> yeah. Though they definitely did, uh, mm-hmm. and finally, I want to mention that the the day I was there when Kurt and and you and and uh, everybody Dennis and everybody you mentioned, Alex Dias, uh, were involved in putting the lens in, a, in its new display in the museum inside the lighthouse. I shot some video that day and took a lot of pictures, and I put together a little video that's on YouTube. If people want to see that, they can go to the U- U.S. Lighthouse Society YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for U.S. LHS. It's very easy to find. And uh, that, that video was on there. So that was a lot of fun being there and putting that together.
1: We were so happy to have you. And believe me, that video is well worth a watch. So I highly recommend it.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so we're actually recording this on December 2nd. I think that's today's date, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and something happened yesterday related to Palmer Rocks. Is that right?
1: Yes. Um, well, it was the 150th anniversary of the first lighting. That was in December 1st, 1871. So we had a little celebration. A few of us went over on the boat to the island and we had a dedication. I had written up a dedication. I wanted to make it for the keepers because so much you know has been done, uh, we've had so much restoration on the lighthouse itself. We just had it painted to the 1871 colors, you know, bringing back the lens. All that is so important. and like I said, we brought back the heart and soul, but I wanted to dedicate it to people who breathe life into the lighthouse. So David Kelleher, our historian, read it, and it was cool because my husband recorded it and we, we have that actually on our um, YouTube site. We had it so that David was flanked by a keeper on either side. One of them, of course, being Dennis. And then we had a special guest keeper, and that was Fred Mickelson.
2: Mm. And
1: I think you, you had interviewed him about 100 episodes ago. Um, but it was, it was wonderful to have them there they told some stories and Dennis mentioned his ghost story we saw the exact spot where that rocking chair was moving on its own you know we had some we had some fun with that and you know and if i may i just want to give a shout out to somebody um there mm-hmm. was a keeper and he's a member but he he was not there at the dedication and forgive me his name i'm not sure how he pronounces it if he pronounces it the French way, it's Malouin, Philip Malouin, or Philip Malouin. Um, Malouin, I'm not sure, I apologize. Mm-hmm. But he was a keeper at both Palm and Rocks and at Kennebecet, And it's his 80th birthday coming up on December 28th. He was in the Coast Guard for 23 years. So we at Palm and Rocks just wanted to give him this, sh- this shout out and thank him. And we wish him all the health and happiness. On his 80th birthday on december 28th and coming up in 2022 we're going to have our second annual palmam rocks lighthouse run it is a road race a 5k and a 10k it was such a success last year we're going to do it again we raised a lot of money i hope to go double this year uh, we weren't able to have after race activities but we do hope to have those and have vendors there and of course we'll have the music again. Um, and then we hope to start up our tours also in 2022. We, we had everything ready to go and we all know what happened. So um, we hope to get the public out there. These will be our first yeah. public tours. Oh,
0: well, that's gonna be fantastic. It's, it's a great lighthouse, very beautiful. And to get people out there is, is just gonna be, you know, the icing on the cake. Oh, uh, yes. So congratulations to you and everybody involved with that lighthouse. You've done such a, such an excellent job with the restoration and the exhibits and everything else. And I want to add that anyone interested in learning more about Palmum Rocks Lighthouse should check out the website at PalmumRocksLighthouse.org. You'll have to keep us updated. We'll have to talk more about this in the future because there's a lot going on. But our main focus today is actually a lighthouse down in South Carolina, the Harbortown Lighthouse, My wife, Charlotte, and I took a trip to Georgia and a little bit into South Carolina uh, in early November. We drove up to Hilton Head, where I recorded the interview we're going to listen to in a few minutes. Uh, Judy Ann, can you please help me tell everyone about the Harbortown Lighthouse and our guests today?
1: Sure, Jeremy. Hilton Head Island, or simply Hilton Head, is a barrier island about 20 miles northeast of Savannah, Georgia and 95 miles southwest of Charleston, South Carolina. The island features 12 miles of beaches and is a popular vacation destination. It's also a golf mecca with 33 courses on the island.
0: The construction of Harbortown Lighthouse at the Sea Pines Resort on Hilton Head was funded by Charles Frazier, and the tower was designed by architect Kenneth DeMay. Completed in 1970, the 90-foot-tall octagonal tower has distinctive red and white bands and a white light that flashes every 25 seconds.
1: Harbortown Lighthouse is now a tourist destination for Hilton Head Island with about 250,000 visitors yearly. The lighthouse features a museum in its interior with gift shops at the bottom and top of the tower. Because it's seen by millions as a backdrop for the final hole of the Harbortown golf links, the lighthouse has become a widely recognized landmark and a symbol for the Sea Pines Plantation and Hilton Head as a whole.
0: As I said, I visited Hilton Head in early November and I had a chance to tour the Harpertown Lighthouse. I interviewed three people when I was there. Nadia Wagner is the general manager and modern day keeper of the lighthouse. Greg McDonald is a teaching golf professional and also a local historian who has given tours at Harbertown. and Mark King is the president of club group the company that manages the Sea Pines Resort. Let's listen to our conversation about Harbortown Lighthouse in South Carolina now. I'm here today at the Harbortown Lighthouse at the Sea Pines Plantation on Hilton Head Island. I'm joined here by Nadia Wagner, who's the general manager and the modern day keeper of uh, the Harbortown Lighthouse, and Greg McDonnell who is a local historian, I believe has run uh, tours of the property here as well. And we're going to be joined soon by Mark King, who's the owner of uh, Club Group Company, the uh, company that runs and manages the lighthouse. So Nadia and Greg, thanks so much for being with me. Thank yes. you. So Nadia, let me start with with you before we talk specifically more about the the lighthouse. I've been reading about you online. There's some great articles about you, you have a real interesting background. Uh, You've been the general manager and keeper of the Lighthouse here for nearly 30 years. Uh, But as I said, you've had a really interesting life. Can you just maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to Hilton Head and the Lighthouse?
3: Well, I actually grew up in former Yugoslavia, Uh, December 7th of 1977. I moved here with my uh, mom, my brother and sister, and we settled in Chicago. It was my father's dream to build a better life for us. So for years, we dreamed of coming to America. That dream came true for us, but unfortunately, my um, dad's illness prevented him from seeing his dream come to life. So we're here thanks to him, and I moved to Hilton Head. I actually moved to the Fusky Island in 1987. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, I was living in Houston. I had two children. My son was um, six, and my daughter was a year old. My sister-in-law, who lived here for many years- told us about this beautiful island. We moved to the Fusky in 1987. I lived there for three years. And in 1991, I uh, actually interviewed for a job at the Quarterdeck Restaurant. And that's what started my journey here in Harbordown.
0: Mm-hmm. Quarterdeck Restaurant, which is right next to the, the lighthouse here. Right? Yes. Yeah. And speaking of that, there's some work going on with the restaurant. I think some other things around here. So if people here listening to this hear construction noise in the background, that's that's why. We've just been joined by Mark King, the owner of Club Group Company, which, as I understand, runs and manages this lighthouse we're in right now. Nice to meet you, Mark. Thanks for being with us. So we'll uh, definitely be talking to you in a moment, but I was going to direct my next question at uh, Greg McDonnell, our local historian here. Let's talk a little bit about ge- generally about Hilton Head, certainly some interesting history of this island. It's
2: a lot of interesting history. A lot's happened here. Absolutely. Yeah. As far as the civil wars in- involved. The Port Royal Sound, uh, which is uh, Butts-Hilton Head on the north end of the island, is the largest natural sound on the east coast. Uh, so when the U.S. troops uh, came in, came down down the, down the coast, they wanted to secure that area first to make sure that they could cut off the Confederate troops uh, from all supplies coming in and out of, of, of the coastline. Uh, so that's why Hilton Head was strategic uh, in its position uh, on the east coast for the troops to come in. 60 ships, uh, over 20,000 troops came on to Hilton Head uh, and established the Beachhead uh, back in 1861 uh, mm-hmm. after the end of the war. And uh, under, the, under the officer uh, Samuel DuPont and uh, General Thomas Sherman, uh, they came in and uh, battled uh, the Battle of Port Royal, mm-hmm. uh, which was against the Confederate troops based out of Buford. Uh, of course, that's where the secession papers were signed. Uh, so a lot of history here, not only the beginning of the war, uh, where the papers were signed in Buford, but also this is where the war ended, basically. Mm-hmm. And the freed men, the slaves, the, the slaves became freed men uh, and established themselves on Hilton Head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, quite a lot of history on Hilton Head.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting recent history uh, as well. Of course, has developed into a major resort. How did how did that
2: come about? Well, that could be a whole novel, yeah. <laughs> and it has sure. been because few, we, we sure. sell yeah. we sell books in here uh, talking about Charles Fraser uh, mm-hmm. and the vision of the man. But before it was Charles, it was his father. Uh, and gentlemen made Mr. Hack and Mr. Mcintosh mm-hmm. uh who took the land and did it for timber the original Hilton head was for timber uh and and uh so uh 20,000 acres of land uh were being timbered at the time and uh, Mr. Fraser uh, owned the south end of the island that, that 20,000 acres was part of the south end and uh, Charles had the vision mm-hmm. uh of starting a, a development of uh, residential development you know environmentally sound uh and so uh he went up and down the east coast and he asked one question to everybody that he wanted to ask. If you could do something different, mm-hmm. what would you do? So he took all those answers and then applied them to the environmentally sound principles uh, that he developed and uh, became Sea Ponds Resort. So mm-hmm. Sea Ponds is the, is the flagship of the of the island, but he's done a number of other things since that. And yeah. we can talk about that, like I say, for a long time. I, I wonder if Mark might want to add
4: anything It's almost cliche to say that uh, Charles was a visionary. He was so far ahead of his time in the late 50s when he bought the 5,000 acres from his father and conceived what is now Sea Pines uh, Resort. And basically, he did something very revolutionary, which Sea Pines has actually seen through this country and internationally as the birthplace of the modern-day planned unit development. Mm. That was a concept that was very unique at the time because most of the development happening in America for the previous 100 years was developers would come into a pristine area like Hilton Head Island, and they would clear-cut, basically, the streets, have a master plan that was more or less on a grid pattern. Mm -hmm. Then they would come back and, and plant ornamental types of trees, mm-hmm. Charles took an entirely different vision. He took a very environmentally sensitive approach to where he would actually lay out streets and would reroute streets around uh, century live oak trees. And so he was very environmentally uh, sensitive, and um, his, his covenants and restrictions were way more restrictive than the Beaufort County uh, zoning laws which was also very unusual at that point. And so uh, I think Sea Pines, uh, here we are nearly 60 years later, is still seen as the example of planned unit development in America. Charles, at one point, had 38 Harvard MBAs working for Sea Pines. That was more than any Fortune 500 company. Wow. And all of them were indoctrinated into his philosophy of protecting the environment. Mm Mm-hmm. And many times, Charles, in his master planning of sea pines, would resist taking shortcuts, even though at times he, he was not the best capitalized in the world. He resisted those shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And so what what we live with today is a master plan community that, that really is is a testimony to his vision and, and his um, wisdom way beyond his years. And Mm -hmm. as Greg said, we could could, uh, go on for hours, if not days and days uh, about the vision of Charles. When and why was the lighthouse built? I had the pleasure of of knowing Charles for uh, nearly 35 years or almost 40 years, I guess. And when Charles conceived the lighthouse, it was a component piece of what he wanted to do as a focal point in Sea Pines, if not Hilton Head Island. Part of his philosophy was to have very unique what he called gathering places mm-hmm. where people within a community could have a sense of community and preferably could walk there or take bike paths or ride a bike to and so, uh, Harbor Town was the anchor, if you will, gathering place. Mm-hmm. And he and Mary, his wife, who unfortunately just passed away a couple of weeks ago, was very integral. In and Charles traveled throughout Europe and throughout Italy and took incredible notes and came back with a vision that was more or less patterned on uh, Portofino on the coast of Italy and. Many of the features of Portofino are incorporated in Harbortown. For example, the proximity of the retail areas to the edge of the yacht basin is, is very, very cozy and comfortable. It's not far removed by parking lots or anything. You literally can be in front of the retail shops in a, one of the famous red rocking chairs within 20 feet of the harbor. So it's a very cozy, comfortable environment. He envisioned the eighty-five slip harbor, and the reason it's not just the round harbor, which would be, had been the, by far the most economical harbor to construct. Mm-hmm. It's more an elliptical horseshoe, and, and the reason for that is that there is a monumental oak called the Liberty Oak. It's nearly three hundred years old. Mm. And Charles, when the planners laid out the plan. Had the oak being removed, and uh, he basically said, "No we're not going to do that we're going to plan around it So when you look at Harbor Town from an aerial perspective, it's sort of that elliptical horseshoe, if you will mm-hmm. and it it goes around the Liberty Oak as a very much a feature part of the whole component of Harbortown was he wanted a place that was more quote unquote a beacon that would tell people this is Harbortown and tell people it was a focal point. And mm-hmm. so he conceived, because he had seen many of these uh, lighthouses in, in um, Europe and America, and he conceived the lighthouse working with a firm from the Northeast. And the octagonal lighthouse that we enjoy, so we're sitting in today, mm-hmm. is uh, 90 feet tall and 114 steps. And it was initially called Fraser's Folly because people thought it was ridiculous that someone would put a tubular steel framed lighthouse uh, wrapped with uh, plywood uh, with an inch of stucco on it in front of the harbor uh, on a, a remote island off the coast of South <laughs> Carolina that people really had practically never heard of. And so, uh, in a very few short years, the the idea of Fraser's Folly hmm. became known as an absolute jewel of marketing idea because the Advertising Age magazine, I think it was in the early 70s, voted that the most recognized private logo symbol east of the Mississippi River is the Harbortown Lighthouse. Wow. And here we are 55 years later, and this lighthouse is seen as the logo for certainly hilton head island if not the state of south carolina mm-hmm. and part of his planning was that it also is the aiming point when you're on the 18th hole of the uh, famous uh, harbortown golf links mm-hmm. it's broadcast every year to 1 billion households yeah. throughout the world in 123 countries and it, it's the first thing you see on the finishing mm-hmm. hole is the town Lighthouse. So yeah. that's part of the wisdom and, and uh, foresight that he had mm-hmm. uh, that was just way beyond most folks. Why specifically
0: the, the look of it? It's got kind of a compared to most traditional lighthouses, it's got a bigger gallery or a catwalk, balcony, whatever you want to call it. And also, it's got the very distinctive red and white stripes. Uh, there are there particular reasons for the the look of the, the
4: lighthouse? Yeah. He wanted the lighthouse to be enjoyed by all. Mm-hmm. And so, right now, we have 10 landings, 10 steps each, climbing to the top. And then a beautiful 360-degree wide viewing area where uh, we get nearly 200,000 visitors a year. A large percentage of those, we actually... Are uh, complimentary, we comp, we comp uh, all military, our Sea uh, Pines property owners, kids five and under three. But his vision was he wanted to be interactive, not just decorative, but mm-hmm. for people to enjoy. Right. And so the steps are very, very uh, wide. They're very easy. Every 10 steps you have a landing uh, and the deck is nice and wide. So he wanted it to be interactive. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting antidote behind uh, it being red and white. And this happens to be a true story. Uh, The original architects uh, wanted the lighthouse to be the traditional black and white vertical stripe. And they went back and forth with Charles. And so Charles was unrelenting in wanting the horizontal red and white pattern. So a architect from uh, the architectural firm was dispatched to come to Hilton Head Island to convince uh, Charles to go with the black and white instead of the red and white. And so the gentleman arrives in Savannah and uh, after uh, eight hours got back on the plane, went back, and the lighthouse is red and white. (laughs) He was was, uh, unsuccessful in convincing Charles to go with the traditional black and white, and so that's the reason... The red and white lighthouse. Well, I think it was a good decision. It certainly uh, makes it more memorable. It's very distinctive, and also the red and white. I mean, the whole idea of the Heritage Golf Classic and how that plays into the design of Harbortown and how Mm -hmm. the plaid, the Heritage plaid, certainly Fraser by definition he he was a Scotophile, and he carried that tradition through and when he conceived the heritage golf classic which as Greg will say golf has certainly been uh, Greg's life on Hilton Head it's just a remarkable story in itself and also uh, talking about the building
0: of the lighthouse so uh, there was a man named Bill Wally who I believe figured in the in the story as well Nadia do you want to take take that
3: yes uh, thanks uh, Bill Wally was the builder of the lighthouse his grandfather actually built the Darwin tower in Lancashire England hmm as a um, commemoration of Queen Victoria's reign of England for 60 years, which took place in 1897. Okay. His uh, father immigrated from England to Savannah, Georgia, and started a very successful construction company, Wally Construction Company. His two sons worked with him until his passing, and then they took over the company. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 1965 that Mr. William Wally joined his brothers, and continued constructing some amazing buildings. Uh, in 1969, uh, Mr. Wally had the honor of building this lighthouse. A couple years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Wally, mm. and we actually did a 45-minute interview mm-hmm. with him. And I learned so much from him. He's an amazing man. He was responsible also for building the harbor town. Pro Shop, or the Carbortown Golf Club. Okay. He took pride in his work. At the end of the interview, he actually asked me to ask him the question, how would you like to be remembered? And I asked the question, and he said, I want to be remembered by my hard work and integrity. It's very important that people remember me for my integrity.
0: Hard work and integrity. Those are two really important things. That's great. Uh,
3: A few months ago, we actually installed a memorial plaque For Mr. Wally. Uh After his passing a couple years ago, we received many condolence cards and donations. People were actually sending donations to us in memory of Mr. Wally. So we Mm -hmm. took those donations and we decided to dedicate one small portion of the uh, last landing at the top of the lighthouse. So for our visitors, they can enjoy and learn about mm-hmm. this man who also had such an important part of this lighthouse.
0: Yeah, well, that's excellent. Does the lighthouse still serve as an aid to navigation? Or sorry, should I say, has it in the past and does it uh, today serve as an aid to navigation? Absolutely. This mm-hmm. lighthouse
3: was built as a uh, navigational aid, mm-hmm. uh, private aid for Harbor Town. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last 28 years since we've been involved, we've seen close to 7 million people who climb to the top of the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. The lighthouse stills, still guides all the yachts coming in and out of the harbor. Mm-hmm. There's a light at the top that rotates, makes a complete rotation every 33 seconds. So the lighthouse plays a, a very important part in Harbor Town.
0: Who maintains the the lighting equipment?
3: Actually, we do, we do all that. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: So you're the keeper, so you're We're in charge the keepers. of that. Yes, yeah.
3: yeah. We're also um, joined with Coast Guard. The light, um, we had to consult with the Coast Guard. Sure, yeah. The beacon has its own character. Yeah. It can't be close to any other lighthouse. Right. We also partnered up with the uh, United States Coast Guard and the local Coast Guard Auxiliary Uh and dedicated three of the landings to telling the the story of the Coast Guard. Before there was uh, GPS and modern navigation, Mm -hmm. the lighthouses were the... uh, you know what guided these these large ships Absolutely. Uh, in and out of harbors and out in the intercoastal waterways. there is a wonderful exhibit sharing the story of the Coast Guard. one item that was donated to us by nine retired Coast Guard pilots. They mm-hmm. built this replica of the original Coast Guard eagle. It sits on one of the landings it spans it's sixteen feet long oh, wow. and nine feet high and has become very popular. Among our visitors,
0: yeah, I've been on the Eagle a couple of times, but I oh, how seen, nice! Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, like receptions and that type of thing. Yes, I haven't climbed the lighthouse yet, so I'm going to do that in a few minutes when <laughs> we're done. I get to see some of this stuff. So, obviously, we've talked about it a couple of times here. Visitors get to climb the lighthouse, the 90 steps, and see all these exhibits on the way to the top. Do most people who visit here? Climb the climb the lighthouse? You think
3: most people who come in, not all. We sure we, we, sure we're hoping that all would climb. Yeah. Uh, But over the last uh, 28 years, uh, close to 7 million people have made their trek to top of the lighthouse. Wow. Yes. And a lot of our visitors are repeat visitors. Yeah. They're from all over the world. Mm -hmm. I've met people even from the Isle of Man, population 2,000. Uh (laughs) What's so unique about our lighthouse, it's the only lighthouse in the world that has a gift shop at the top of the lighthouse. Right. Which was all the idea of my boss, Mark. Uh Uh-huh. He had this wonderful idea. Put the shop at the top because for security reasons yeah uh, in 1993 a teenager went upstairs ripped the trash can away from the wall and threw it overboard oh there no. was a woman walking along oh, the no. shell walk and it almost hit her so mark realized what well, we need to uh, staff it for secu- uh, security reasons but then an idea, wow, we could actually do something else and, mm-hmm. and, and open up the most unique gift shop. And yeah. that's where the idea started. 28 uh, years later, here we are. Yeah. Not only do we have a shop at the top, but uh, 10 years ago, we uh, opened um, a gift shop at the base of the lighthouse for those that may not be able to climb. Downstairs, we offer a large variety of local history books, cookbooks, children's books, um, nautical items. Mm-hmm. We sell keepsakes. Not just souvenirs.
0: Well, we're sitting here in the first floor shop, which looks really nice. And, you know, I've been to many, many lighthouses. A lot of lighthouses have gift shops. I have never seen one on the top of a lighthouse (laughs) or even inside the base of a lighthouse, They're usually in a separate building. The closest thing to this I can think of is Peggy's Cove Lighthouse in Nova Scotia used to have a post office in the first floor, in the base of the lighthouse, but no more. A few years ago, they they cut out the post office, but that was pretty cool. It had that when I was there. Yeah but I've never seen uh, especially two shops inside a lighthouse tower before. Very unusual.
3: Well, in 2001, um, Mark decided to rebrand the lighthouse as a museum. So we created a museum-like setting yeah. with uh, fans on all the landings, air conditioning at the top and the bottom. We enhanced the, the history, um, added a lot of new storyboards. And, and so if you're, if you're here for the first time and you want to learn a little bit about the island, Mm-hmm. you can take home a part of history with you. So each yeah. landing tells an amazing history, beginning with early settlers mm-hmm. all through the plantation era and the Civil War, uh, modern development, the building of the new bridge, and, uh, of course, the, we celebrate the heritage of golf on one of the landings as well. Okay. Um, we also partnered with uh, a gentleman who was the chairman of the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's. He's a, a local resident of Sea Pines, takes amazing photographs.
0: Yeah. His name is?
3: His name is Jeff Kiefer. He owns Vivid Gallery, which is um, only a mile away from the lighthouse at the shops at Seapine Center. His images are then uh, transferred on canvas uh, in all different sizes. We sell his artwork and donate all the proceeds to the foundation. Yeah. So over the last 28 years, we've actually donated over $150,000 to various local and other charities, including Michael J. Fox and we also donate a portion of the sales of coast guard items to the local coast guard auxiliary
0: oh, That's Sorry. fantastic. I see these these are his photos up here yes, right right near us amazing. where we're sitting. They are amazing. Yes. So, Nadia, do you also have a lot of weddings and other events here at the Lighthouse?
3: Yes, we do. Uh, Over the uh, almost last three decades, we've hosted hundreds of weddings and countless engagements. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Lighthouse is available for private rentals as well. So if someone wants to surprise their wife on an anniversary, they can rent the Lighthouse for a few hours. If you've never been to Top of the Lighthouse, you have to see the reason why people choose to get married at the top. Mm -hmm. Not only is it romantic and unique, But our sunset will take your breath away. The photo backdrop is just phenomenal.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Lighthouses in general are very popular places for weddings and engagements. I've facilitated a few engagements at my local lighthouse at Portsmouth Harbor Light. I always take the couple to the top and I tell them, oh, I just remembered I've got to make a phone call. And I leave them by themselves at the top of the lighthouse for a while.
3: Well, it's funny. Uh, Sometimes people rent a lighthouse out for a wedding. Sometimes they'll do it while we're open. Mm-hmm. And we we can always tell when someone's about to propose. They get very nervous. They start looking around. As soon as we see that knee going down, we're there with our camera, our, our phone, and we try to capture it for them mm-hmm. so they can have a memory they'll never forget. Yeah. We also have a live webcam at the top of the lighthouse. So a lot of our brides have uh, luxury of getting married in front of the camp for mm-hmm. maybe their family members who oh, okay. be here. Oh, well, that's uh, great. Most of our weddings are very small and intimate. Yeah. It could be from two people to 40, but we try to keep our capacity up to like 40 to 50, no more than 50.
0: So we mentioned the Quarterdeck restaurant. You you actually worked there, Nadia, right, or early on in your time here? Actually,
3: yeah. I did. In 1991, March 1st, I began my employment at Quarterdeck, and Mark, Mark was my boss. Mm-hmm. After about a year, I became a supervisor. And then a dining room manager. And part of my responsibility involved selling, creating, and coming up with ideas for Quarterdeck logo merchandise. Mm -hmm. In that one year that we were selling the merchandise, we sold like $81,000 out of a tiny little box. Wow. When Mark came up with the idea to open the shop at the top, and he pulled me aside to the office and said, Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're opening a shop at the lighthouse. It's going to be at the top of the lighthouse, and we'd like for you to run and my first thought was wait can we do it at the bottom <laughs> right <laughs> but what mm-hmm. an amazing amazing idea yeah. i mean it, it's been it's been a pleasure working for mark and it's been an honor really working for mark and and, and serving people i find like i'm in my element I, mm-hmm. when i'm around people and i learn you know a little bit about where they come from and share a little bit what we offer here it's yeah. it's, it's been just an amazing experience and i feel like god has me here for a reason
0: okay well, you're a great team, and I can see uh, just from meeting you this morning and see that you, you love people, that's that's obvious. <laughs> so, seems like you're in the right place. Mark, you'd like to add something?
4: Yeah, let me add something to that, uh, Jeremy. Uh, I, I've made the comment quite a few times that for the past 28 years, Nadia has been our lighthouse keeper and really overseer of all lighthouse. And there's, there's not anyone in the history of Hilton Head Island that is personally Met and greeted more people than Nadia. She probably has single-handedly met at least three or four million people. And the number of people that either write in on our on our webpage or come back year to year, they'll ask about the uh, little blonde with the accent. <laughs> Uh, she's originally from Yugoslavia. Her southern accent is, is there, but she's <laughs> she got a little bit of a Slavic accent. And so the, it's charming because a lot of people will come back and Nadia has an incredible uh, recollection of people's names. And, and so, I mean, the, the grandkids know Nadia. In
0: general, if people are com- coming to Hilton Head, what else do you recommend that they do here?
3: I would say I would rent uh, bikes. And maybe if you're here in Harbortown, After you climb the lighthouse, maybe bike through 605 acres of Sea Pines Forest Preserve. Mm. You can do a walking tour as well. If you have children, I would highly recommend an outdoor activity. We have a beautiful dinner cruise aboard uh, Spirita Harbor Town, a dolphin cruise on Vagabond. You can rent jet skis. You can go parasailing with H2O Sports. You can do an alligator boat uh, tour that actually tells you a history of the alligators, and you can actually see some in our local lagoons there's a beautiful little boat the pirate cruise it's amazing for little kids up to maybe seven eight years old i can tell you it is so cool to see all these little kids all you know riled up and and marching through the harbor getting on the boat and trying mm-hmm. to suit stinky Pete. so it's a wonderful experience yeah. if you're a golfer you can golf at the harbor town golf links or the ocean course you can maybe stop at shops at Sea Pine Center. There are a um, lot of cute little boutiques and uh, quite a few restaurants. Yeah. On your way to the Sea Pines Beach Club, you can stop at the beach or take a drive or, or bike ride to South Beach Marina and enjoy some of the shops and restaurants that are there. If you happen to be here on the nights that Greg Russell's performing, it's a wonderful experience. He's been playing uh, music under the oak tree for uh, last 45 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I see so many kids that climb the lighthouse that have like a poster board that says "Greg, pick me, pick me," <laughs> because what he does is he'll he'll choose a kid from the audience and ah. invite him to come up and, and sing with him. But I can tell you, seeing the faces and seeing so many people come back here year after year, there's so much so much deep meaning. I've met people who come in and, and say, hey, remember me? I was eight years old when I lost my tooth on the staircase. I have no. a picture with you. And now they're coming back with their families and bringing their children here. So yeah. it's nice to see, you know, people coming for generations. Hilton Head mm-hmm. has, has a very deep meaning and Harbor Town has played a major role in that too.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's, there's awful lot to do here. I'm glad you mentioned the, the preserve and, and all that. There's plenty here for nature lovers, obviously, and a lot to do even if you're not a golfer. Although... It's a golf, golf mecca, too, of course.
3: Oh, if you like to shop, we have some beautiful uh, boutiques uh, mm-hmm. there in Harbortown, as well as South Beach and, and um, Seapine Center.
0: What are the hours for the lighthouse, Nadia? And, and secondly, how do people find out more if they're coming for a visit?
3: Yes, you can uh, Google us or go to our webpage, harbortownlighthouse.com. We're open every day from 10 a.m. until sundown. So mm-hmm. it changes throughout the year based on when the sun sets. We only close on Christmas Day. We're open Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, uh, Easter, Thanksgiving Day, and Thanksgiving Day after.
0: So I'm getting uh, near the end here. I just uh, have a final question that i really like to ask uh, both Mark and Nadia. And this question is for bonus points, okay? <laughs> uh, so Mark first, uh, what have you enjoyed most about your association with the Harbortown Lighthouse?
4: Uh, Jerry, I, I think, uh, let me answer that question and broaden it a bit. Uh, what, what I've enjoyed the most with my association with Harbortown and the Harbortown Lighthouse right. is uh, my getting to know Charles over 35 plus years and now having the privilege of continuing really what I consider his legacy of one of the most unique resort spots in America.
0: So Nadia, let me uh, direct that same question to you. What have you enjoyed most of it, your association with Harbortown and the Lighthouse here?
3: Well, I'll be honest. I've made so many memories here. I've raised my children working for this company and working at the lighthouse. The lighthouse has special meaning to me. I'm so honored to be the lighthouse keeper and to, to serve these people that are coming here to enjoy what we have to offer. I've made so many friends over the years. And to be a part of something so unique and so special and to be able to say I work in the symbol of what is not only the symbol of Hilton Head but that has become the symbol of South Carolina.
0: That sums it up pretty nicely. Nadia Wagner, uh, you are a great uh, spokesperson and representative for this this property Thank you, and uh, you know I, I knew I was looking forward to meeting you because I read such wonderful things about you online so it's wonderful being here. Mark King, uh, owner of a Club Group Company, as I said you've certainly carved out a, a wonderful legacy here. So So nice to meet you today. And Greg McDonnell, again, uh, thank you for your patience. You helped so much with the, uh, the history of the place, and then you've been patiently sitting, sitting here with us. But, Greg, thanks so much for your contribution thanks today. Thank, thank you. you very much. So thank you all so much. i got to climb the lighthouse now. Nadia, do you want to add one more thing?
3: Absolutely. just wanted to mention how special it is to be a part of memories, memories that were created here by so many people, mm-hmm. and to make sure that we continue that lighthouse legacy the same legacy that Charles Fraser had in mind, Mm -hmm. the legacy that Mark had in mind when he put the shop at the top, and most of all, the legacy that Mr. William Wally wanted to be so remembered by. It's been a true honor.
0: Yeah, well, it ties it all together. Thank you, Nadia, and thank you again, everybody.
1: To learn more about the Harbortown Lighthouse and Museum, visit harbortownlighthouse.com. In this case, Haber is spelt the British way, so it's H-A-R-B-O-U-R, townlighthouse.com.
0: I want to thank Nadia, Greg, and Mark again for the interview and for their very gracious hospitality when I visited there. I had a great time. So, Judy Ann, I, I saw there's a, a special Christmas ornament commemorating the return of the Fresnel Lens to Palmham Rock's lighthouse.
1: Yes, we have a Fresnel Lens ornament, and it is designed by Beacon Design from Lincoln, Rhode Island. It's a local company. One of our board members, Louise Piver, orchestrated this for us, and we're excited to be selling this. It's made of brass, which, of course, is perfect for a lighthouse. Um, If people want to know more about it, they can visit our website at palmandrockslighthouse.org.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Judy Ann. Uh, Is that perfect or what? A Christmas uh, Fresnel lens ornament? I think it's absolutely perfect. A reminder to everyone to check out uslhs.org to learn more about the tours offered by the U.S. Lighthouse Society, as well as the Passport Program, the online research catalog, and much more. And remember that donations and memberships help support this podcast.
1: The Turkish author Mehmet Murat Ildan once wrote, quote, Open your eyes and look around carefully at the moments when you think you have failed, because the lighthouse of success mysteriously appears in the fog at those very moments, unquote.
0: Thank you so much for co-hosting today, Judy Ann. Great having you on board, and I'm sure we'll do it again. Next week's episode of Lighthearted will focus on the history of the holiday visits of the Flying Santa to New England lighthouses, a tradition that goes back to 1929. As always, thank you for listening, and
1: keep a good light. Out in the dark, I'm going to let it shine.
5: Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine.